Family is the theme of the day, actually. I was going to do something else. I was going to show Carl's video testimony, and then I sat down last night and was going to write just a quick you know, page on family, because the family was on my heart, and this five pages tumbled out, and I was like, Carl, we're going to show this a different time. Family is a word that evokes a deep sense, for me, of belonging. They're your people, the group from which you derive identity. Family is where you learn whether to take off your shoes at the door or not, whether it's called dinner or supper, whether the eggs should be scrambled, poached, fried, or soft-boiled, and how runny or not runny the yolks should be. We have conflict over this issue. (laughs) She overdoes the meat and overdoes the eggs and is grateful to Jesus that she has the freedom to do it in our great nation. (laughs) Families where you learn the importance or not importance of music, of work, of play, of friends, of prayer. Everything is actually not so much taught, it's caught in family. Especially in those formative years. Of course, I'm learning that All our years are meant to be formative. And we're actually destined for a much deeper family than the one from which we came. Family are the people who are responsible for you, whether they like it or not. And they're the people for whom you are responsible, whether you like it or not. I remember how my sister Melody would lay in bed and listen to me. I'd walk into her Doorway, and of course, I wouldn't stay in her doorway long because 30 minutes later I was still talking, unloading all my pent up thoughts and feelings at the end of the day. And she offered very little advice, but very helpful eye contact and small verbal cues that let me know I'm here for you and I care. Hopefully, family are those people who know you and love you more than anyone else on the planet. Hopefully, You've found a family who you can trust with your true heart. I want that for you, as I want that for myself. I saw a report that indicated that close friends were less reliable in finding you a compatible spouse than your family. (laughs) So as much as you think they're crazy, uh, they know you better than you think. I'm not endorsing arranged marriage. (laughs) That's just... (laughs) I'm just saying. In the Bible, God honors families, not just individuals. I don't know if you've picked up on that. He'll even honor your prayers because of a promise he made to your ancestor you never met. Even if you've been a royal butthead, it says that right here in the notes, so it's totally fine. It's possible that God will extend extra grace to you because he had a great relationship with your great-great-grandma, and one afternoon, in a time of conversation, he said some stuff to her, so he's going to honor it now. I come from a, a really individualistic culture that if you ask me who I am, I'm going to start with my story. It's very different from the Bible that if you ask someone who they are, they start with 15 generations back. But even I notice in the Bible that God deals with families. He keeps promises to children's 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 children. 
And once we read scripture through this lens of looking for what it has to say about family, I think it's almost impossible to unsee it once you've seen it. God first calls Abraham and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then from Jacob, all the 12 tribes, and then they multiply, and then God saves this great family out of slavery in Egypt, and then reveals his name to Moses, saying, I keep my covenant to a thousand generations. In the New Testament, we find that same way to start the story. I mean, how would you start the story of Jesus? Matthew says the way to start the story of Jesus is with one of those boring lists that you tend to speed read called a genealogy. And the reason it's not boring to a Jewish reader is because it's their genealogy. You ever thought that through? And every name in that boring list isn't a meaningless name. It's a person. And every name opens a folder in their mind of who were they, where did they live, who did they marry, how many kids did they have, what were they like, what were their strengths, what were their weaknesses, is there anything fascinating that happened in their life? It's vivid. Each story, I think at some point when we're more ingrained into the biblical worldview, we realize that it's not just their genealogy, it's actually our genealogy. And, And every one of those vivid stories teaches us something about ourselves and teaches us something about our God and teaches us something about our life. And the truth is it really is our story because God's not viewing us as in a separate family, but he's actually bringing us into Abraham's family. In Ephesians 3.15, Paul says that he prays to the Father from whom every family on earth and in heaven is named which is interesting play on words because the Greek word for family is patria and the Greek word for father is pater. Every child with their father is an imperfect and miniature expression of that greater kingdom reality. And more to the point, every family is meant to be grafted into the family of God. The church in scripture is called the household of God. Ephesians 2.19, saints are the siblings of Jesus, Romans 8.29. He's the firstborn among many brothers. And Hebrews 2.11, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. His father is our father. And like it or not, his siblings are our siblings. Many of us, I think, would say that we come from Show of hands. Let's be Garth today. A dysfunctional family, anyone? <laughs> I'm with y'all, you know what I'm saying? And that, just so we're clear, that doesn't mean we don't love our families and appreciate them and are not grateful for them. It just means that there are things about our families that the Lord is still working on. Am I, am I right? <laughs> okay. All of us would have to at least admit I don't have to do the show of hands, that we came from an imperfect family with lots of room for improvement. And perhaps your family's brokenness has marked you, I'm saying this from my own experience, has marked you with fear that you'll repeat the sinful patterns of the past over again in your marriage or with your children. Or perhaps what your family got right has kind of lured you into a smug sense of self-satisfaction that renders you less loving and more judgmental to others. What I hope is that you will find an accurate awareness 
of the mixed blessing that your family is. It has strengths and weaknesses. And that that sense of mixed blessing of who you are will deepen this profound gratitude for God's saving grace and his goodness in spite of your lack. In other words, God's undeserved and ongoing involvement are how we've gotten this far and what we're hoping in for the future. I just came back from a family reunion. I'm sure that's partly why all these thoughts on family are percolating in my spirit. And one cool story was a behind the scenes, you know. Grandpa Dave's a patriarch of our family, and we hold him in such high regard. He didn't stir up conflict. He is just a man of integrity, the kind of guy who would, you know, harvest wheat all day and then, like, go to the school board meeting and uh, carefully measure his word, never spank until it was absolutely required, and then do it in the way that's healthy and right, the way they actually tell you to do in the books. I'm not endorsing beating your children. Just throwing that out there. But I got to hear a different side of Grandpa Dave and Grandma Laura, a little darker side this time. They've been in heaven long enough years, I guess, now we feel like we're allowed to. I'm not sure. And I knew sometimes they were cross with each other. I, I heard some interesting stories about uh, Amish cuss words uh, being thrown in one direction. And Laura was prone to depression. That I kind of already intuited. I know that I inherited my artist personality from the Waggler side, which is her side. Uh, they're very intelligent, they're very intuitive, they're, they're, they're kind of weirdos that uh, either go work for NASA or write a lot of poems or like just suddenly travel the world and weird, like a lot of Harvard, Yale weirdness and then like sort of Amish social. It's just a lot of weird stuff going on in the Waggler side. Uh, the kids hitched a ride on the back of a, uh, one of the, like the buggy one time, snuck into town, they got in trouble, but then when they were punished, they smashed all mom's dishes. So if you go out to western Kansas, you can find a bunch of dish shards still in the field. I'm digressing. Let's get back on point. In other words, I got my melancholy from Grandma Laura. I didn't quite understand just how hard their marriage was because of that, because of her depression. Uh, you know, and, and so Grandpa Dave, I kind of always heard the, pol- the, the airbrushed version. Great patriarchs, wonderful godly people, and that's not untrue. But what I got to hear on this trip was he was asked about, you know, do you feel really good about this? All your kids are serving the Lord. All your kids have healthy marriages. And he said, it is the sheer grace of God that parents like us could have raised children like these. I don't know if you relate to that. Uh, That's beautiful to me and very helpful and very hopeful. Kind of makes me go, oh good, I'm not crazy. Because that's how I feel Every day. Um, Anyway. I won't take the credit, says Grandpa Dave. I will give thanks. I know my dad feels the same about me. I feel the same about my children. I kind of spend my days, hope I'm not royally screwing this up and praying for help. Another beautiful kingdom snapshot from the week is my little sister sharing with all the aunts and uncles and cousins about her divorce, which was finalized this year. This is the same little sister who lost her baby a few years ago. So this is like, you know, it's an interesting journey for her. It's a journey she didn't never intentionally signed up for. Um, it was fun to watch the family, which is very conservative, shed tears and not not, not show one bit of judgment. Um, my dad remarked, 
that how surprised he was that as he processed his grief with his brothers on the phone and at various times over the year, this, as this was going on, I mean, for my, it was like my mom and dad were just being gutted, you know what I mean? Um, emotionally, that's a metaphor. And he just really was surprised how supportive and understanding all of his siblings were. Um, anyway, he was impressed with grace that he, you know. And I joked at the end of the sharing time, we were all crying, or the people who felt comfortable crying in public were crying. Because my family's not all entirely that way. I'm actually an anomaly, believe it or not, in that respect. But I joked at the end that what Lynette really needs most of all is stacks of books just filled with advice and especially snap judgments. Because if a problem can't be fixed in 10 seconds, you probably aren't trying. That was a joke. That was sarcasm. I had been asked to give the Sunday message and my dad and I tag teamed and he was supposed to give a very short talk but he got carried away and gave a very long talk so I switched places and gave a very short talk. He talked about how Colossians says all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, Colossians 1.16, which means that God created this beautiful, diverse, natural world not so that humans could enjoy it but rather because he enjoyed it as though, in other words, the world, it's not about us. God created everything because he liked it and he enjoys what he created. Whether any human eye or telescope or submarine or scientist or explorer ever finds it and photographs it. And then dad went on and on about bird migrations and strange nesting behaviors of obscure creatures. And all the while there were some snakeskins that we had found in the meeting area like right before we gathered draped over the pulpit which happened to be eastern diamondback rattlesnake skins. So then I followed that up by changing gears completely and saying, I think it's really important that we sow our tears in the good ground of God the Father. But while I was sharing, I felt led to change the outline and place a high amount of emphasis on the importance of also sowing our tears in the good ground of trustworthy people who love us. And at the end, I was completely encouraged as... Different people tracked me down to kind of corner me and start sharing with me a little bit of their story of the tears that they've had to learn how to sow into the Father and into people. One was, of course, my little sister, who doesn't have a church family right now. One was my aunt, whose sister took her life a few years ago. Another one was my uncle, who told me how on behalf of someone else he loved, he had just dealt with incredible anger at God. And how he had prayed, a lot of prayers, telling God how angry he was. And he even resorted to this extreme behavior of writing poetry. You know? I would love to read those poems. But he, he said, you know, I'm really glad you said that thing about sowing our tears among trustworthy people. He said, because when I was sharing all my anger with God, it didn't break it. It didn't, it didn't relieve it. Until I found a way to admit to people this sort of inappropriate... Do you know what I mean? It doesn't look like faith to be telling the one that you've entrusted your life to, and you're supposed to say, I trust you, God, I love you, God, you're good, God, and instead you're saying, I don't trust you, this doesn't seem right, how could you be good? So when he admitted that to some safe people, then he was able to find a sense of of wholeness again. I thought that was really interesting. We're all kind of, going back to my original point, we're all kind of a mixed blessing, aren't we? And we come from families that have shaped us for good and for bad. 
And we're all called to find our much deeper place of belonging and responsibility, but more importantly, grace in God's family. But what if you've never had even a marginally functional family? What if you've never even had a family where you felt like you belonged or were safe? What if you've never had a family that taught you anything healthy? What if your family taught you lots of unhealthy things? You know Jesus' little piece of advice on how to arrange your life? Rearrange your life, really, where he tells us not to react defensively to people, but to anticipate creatively what we would want if we were in their role and they were in ours. You know what I'm talking about? The, t- the teaching where Jesus asks us to rearrange our life from acting powerlessly to acting powerfully. Do you know what I'm talking about yet? Which one? I'm talking about where Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Where he completely breaks us out of that victim role into the I have, I have power. Where he completely breaks us out of that uncreative, self-centered role and places us in that sort of compassionate, creative, intelligent um, offense of saying, instead of worrying about how life's treating me, I'm going to be... Wait, this sounds like a, like a bumper sticker. I'm going to be the change I want to see in the world. We call it the golden rule. It's Luke 6.31. Act how you want to be treated. Take the brave first action and then take the brave second action and then take the brave third action. If you wish that someone had shown you more grace when you were in a bad place and you were acting ratty, well, be kind to someone who's being intentionally hurtful to you. If you wish that someone would have confronted you with a truth, but while confronting you, stayed affectionate, stayed cheerful, and then let the matter go, as soon as they gave their opinion. In other words, if you wish that people were honest with you but not manipulative, well, be that for others. In other words, we actually have the power, if we've never had a family that's healthy, we actually have the power to be that kind of family, even if we haven't had that kind of family. So as I'm thinking about all this stuff on family, I'm asking questions like, so what does that mean for Gateway as a family? Because I feel it's been a theme on my heart for some time now. You know, a while back, Anthony Gaiman and I had a talk, and he kind of placed this word family front and center for me. And um, it's kind of stayed there, just sort of bouncing around in my heart and head, affecting my perspective. So what does it, what does it mean? I'm, I'll admit, I don't really know. <laughs> fully what this means for us to be a family. I have a few hunches. I have a hunch it means that church isn't a worship service once a week, as important as, as it is as an expression of our family to be here. Um, I think family is people who do life together. I think family talk a lot, eat a lot of food, play games, work hard, host each other in their homes. I think our kids play together. I think they grow up together and maybe even terrifyingly enough get married. But not anywhere close to near near now, like way later. (laughs) And I think family means that you know my strengths and weaknesses and you can sort out how to love me as the total package. Uh, And I do the same with you. I think it means you love me enough to risk being vulnerable with me so that I can take better care of your heart. And I do the same. I think it means we hug and we fight 
and we forgive each other, and we share the load, and we share the joys, and we share the journey. And I think it means a lot more, and I don't quite know what all it means. Um, what do you want from me, people, here? I'm just trying to figure it out myself. Um, <laughs> I do know that this idea of family sort of keeps coming back to my mind ever since that talk with Anthony. And it's almost like one of those little white uh, butterflies that hangs out among the clovers in the, in the grass. Like, you can get near it, but you can't catch it. And you can't chase it away, either. It just keeps hanging out. But you can't quite get your hands on it. But I do suspect that, just like I have a little snapshot on what does it mean to be God's family, you probably have a little piece of that puzzle, to use Tammy's uh, language. And that without your piece of the puzzle, we don't actually get to see what it looks like. And I'd kind of like to see what it looks like. So, I don't know. Maybe one more thought on the not having a healthy family. No. No, don't. Let's just end. It's super heartening for me to realize that the same God who redeemed every generation before us, who had a lot of the same challenges that we have, even though we imagine that because we have cell phones and faster cars and air conditioning, that we have unique problems. What a, you know. If God's been able to walk faithfully with everyone before us and all these generations before us, he's going to be able to be faithful to us. Sometimes we think that we're more sinful than previous generations, that our life is more complicated, and that somehow, I guess, maybe we think Jesus isn't, his, his words are sort of wearing out, you know, like old technology. Um, we wouldn't say that. And if we would think long and hard and pray long and hard, we would realize that its opposite is true. Uh, that there's an ancient wisdom that, you know, modern wisdom is just fleeting and plastic and microwaved. And it's been kind of one of the prayers of my heart to get back to ancient wisdom and redig ancient wells and uncover ancient paths and rebuild ancient ruins. Because sometimes the old ways are actually more advanced. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would show us what does it mean to be your kids? What does it mean to be your family? And I ask it because I really feel like we need to learn it. And I really feel like if we learn it, we're going to find out a lot about life that we wouldn't have found out any other way. And if we don't learn it, we're going to lose a lot that's valuable. And we probably won't miss it till it's gone. But we don't have to. So Holy Spirit, would you help us learn from Jesus how to walk these paths that you call family. And God's people said, Amen.